Rising Stars of SaaS is brought to you by Pipe. SaaS companies, this is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your recurring revenue as upfront capital. No debt, no loans, no dilution. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com slash twist. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And LinkedIn Sales Navigator. With face-to-face meetings now a thing of the past, you'll need to quickly adapt your sales strategy to stay ahead. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the tool designed to help you master digital selling. Go to linkedin.com slash SaaS to start your 60-day free trial. That's linkedin.com slash S-A-A-S. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rising Stars of SaaS, a series here on This Week in Startups that we decided to do because software as a service has been a juggernaut in our industry. And there's so many interesting emerging companies. And the godfather of SaaS uh, is with us. Jason Lemkin is the other Jason, uh, as we will, uh, as we refer to each other, the other Jason, if you're looking for the consumer investor, that's me. And if you're looking for the SaaS investor, that's Jason Lemkin. He's been on the podcast three other times, episode 597, 663, and 698. When he did uh, two of those are talks, he did our events. And of course, he has Saster, the giant, huge, large event that got canceled as well uh, during the pandemic. Hit hard. That was, I mean, your events were ginormous and there was a lot of money at stake too. How did you deal with that? Welcome back to the program. First of all, it's been too long. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and tell us what happened with the Saster conference and, and how you dealt with that because I believe that was at the beginning of the pandemic. If I'm, We were the I'm, first big event that got taken down by COVID. Um, and uh, yeah, we lost about $10 million um, oh. all in, uh, which, um, you know, is more than pocket change for, for most of us. But yeah, it was, it was crazy. You know, it's funny looking back in March, you know, there was so little COVID here, right? And we didn't know what we were doing. And it was it was surreal because not only did we lose 10 million, but the Warriors kept playing <laughs> and the world wow. kept moving, like the wheels kept moving in the consumer side, even though the B2B side was, was, you know, the B2B side was shut down first for events and it may be the last to come back uh, for the same reason. Um, but it was brutal, but uh, it's fun. It's like a lot of things and we should talk about SaaS self, but you adapt, right? You adapt and you yeah. learn and good things for all of us, I mean, the cloud has zooms quintupled since then. Every cloud stock that could benefit from COVID has, and um, even for our community, we found ways to to benefit from it. So uh, it's it's just great when you have a team that's that's clever and crafty, right? And so many interesting things will come out of like we didn't know Zoom would be a consumer app, did we? It never in Eric's mind no. would Zoom be a consumer app. Now it's a $3 billion run rate company and you know 30, 40% of that may be from consumer use cases, right? It's hard to know for sure, right? But Which it's crazy. Crazy. Um, what date was the event supposed to take place? 
uh, second week of March. So RSA wow. got done the week before, and then and then the county just shut it down. And we people, it was funny. People mocked us in February. We wrote this thing: you have to wear masks, you have to wash your hands, you have to do social distancing. And we we got made fun of. Even the Wall Street Journal said this was crazy, like it was extreme. Um, wow. And we did passport checks. We had thermal scanning before anyone did it with Matt with enterprise grade consumer heat scanners that were half a million dollars. And everyone mocked us, and then you know th- those weren't bad ideas. <laughs> well, it turns out, yeah, you were you were ahead of the curve. Those have become the standard. I, I was in Vegas for a poker taping of a poker game, like a poker after dark, yeah, during the pandemic, and we had to take tests and we were quarantined and all stuff. But when you walk in and out of the hotel, they had those infrared scanners, and they yeah. were actually scanning people. I didn't spend any time in the casino because I thought like, this is too dangerous. We were in our own like. Um, place where it's all be videotaped so how does it mechanically work when you have an event like this cancel and you you're so close to the date just it just the vendor the there's no rescheduling or is there a, a clause with the venue for like an act well i would force say majeure? there are well for it's interesting to me you really want to go into interesting because you put on events force there was a force majeure event there's no question the interesting question is who gets the benefit? The, like the venue's running a business. Okay, we agree it's a force majeure. That means who, but who has to pay? Right. <laughs> this is a funny nuance. Is there a force majeure clause? Of course there is. It benefits the venue. It benefits food and beverage. It benefits. So yes, there was one. It just doesn't exactly do what you think it does, ah, right? Right. Yes. Yes. We agree it's a force majeure. In that case, you owe us everything. <laughs> wow. Well, is think about right? it. It's, I know it sounds crazy. And, and listen, it was stressful for us, but think about it for a moment. A contract decides who assumes risk. And, and if there's an act of God, if there's a pandemic, a, a tsunami, one side has to assume risk. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be the smaller guy or the customer. It could be the vendor. You don't know, right? That's the right. point of a contract. Each contract is different. They're all and this different. Is, this is the first time in our lifetime that really a force majeure situation has happened. Yes. And I remember in my early days of running conferences, and you and I both have run very large conferences, we would always like, debate these or I'd have people on my team who were obsessed with these kind of clauses, you know, and cancellations and payment terms and all this stuff. And then we'd have other people like, ah, this doesn't matter. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. 99 out of 100 conferences. And then you have this like black swan event and you actually go pull out the contract and say, what does it say exactly? Um, and yeah, it could be, it could go either way, right? Could go, Most yeah, of the a time, lot of this could go either way. <laughs> yeah. So, you move the conference online and does that work? And I saw there were some SaaS companies that are doing online conferences. I'm wondering what you think of online conferences. They're terrible. Given that's what, they're terrible? They're terrible. They're terrible. Now, we've done a good job. <laughs> okay. So they're, <laughs> but terrible, they're terrible, but SaaS is doing a great job with it. Okay, explain. Well, because we don't do conferences, right? What we, we, we I mean... It's very interesting to what we talk about SaaS software, you know, the digital events software space has raised 300 million in the last six months, right? Hopin went from in less than a year is worth 2 billion, right? And we could chat about why that is because it's interesting. But these events you go to, they're terrible, right? Do you, are you going to, are you going to reinvent this week? Are you going to Dreamforce? Are you going to Web Summit? No. Have you been to some of those events? Yes, you have. We, you, I don't have any time. I've been to Dreamforce 10 times. Reinvent takes over Vegas, right? Web Summit is epic, but are you going to the digital versions of those? You're probably not. Hmm. Are you? Probably no, not. Right? Right. And there's I mean, a reason. No, I mean, yeah. You're not getting the interactions. You're not getting the other pieces, right? But, but you know what is great? Getting to chat with 
an Eric Wan or an Aaron Levy or Todd McKinnon or someone like that. And so what we've done is huge digital in a way that's accretive, which is have Q&A, have the discussions you and I are having, but have them for 100,000 people. That's what we've done since March. Have these discussions for 100,000 people. And that's worked well for us. But we've ditched all the stuff, the booths and the, and the pretend other things. It's, it doesn't work. So Hoppin raised a hundred plus million dollars at a two billion dollar valuation. Yes, something crazy like that. I don't know if you're an investor in the company. I'm not, uh, but I do think of all the tools, it is the best one. So, and, and more importantly, it has the most traction. It has the majority market share in a, a very large market, and it's gone from zero to twenty million revenue in, in a single digit number of months. Zero to twenty million in ten months. Now, when you look at it as an investor, when a yeah. company goes from zero to 20 million during a pandemic, how does one judge that investment opportunity? Let's say, I don't know if you had it or not, or if I had it or not, but how would one judge an investment opportunity in something that is being driven by the pandemic? Yeah, it's interesting to think about investor psychology. I think it's helpful for founders. I didn't invest in Hopin, but I did a couple that benefited. TalkDesk, which is a contact cloud contact center, they went from one to $3 billion during the pandemic because everyone couldn't go into call centers anymore. They had to do them uh, from home. And, and, and while net, at first net new struggled, um, deployments, two year deployments got done in two weeks. And, and upgrades were off the chart. So the revenue just is crazy. And you can see it in public comps like Ring Central and others as well. It's not only them that benefited. So that's a quick benefit. Another one I did, I did a, sort of a Zendesk for e-commerce called Gorgeous. Uh, they, 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 they went from 3 million to 13 million this year um, because Shopify exploded. Right. So on top of that, what's the number one way to do customer service on Shopify? It's this little app called Gorgeous. And so you look at those and I think when the pandemic first hit, investors were like, well, this is going to this is going to end and this is fatty and they're all going right. to return to normal. Right. But and maybe they will. But but I think what we've learned in SaaS, I, I don't even think you and I knew this when we chatted the first time and met. And when I talked to so many longtime founders, we all underestimated the powers of brand of brand. And, and Michael Pryor and I from Trello just caught up. And he said, I said, w where will Trello be in 20, you know, 2030? He's like, it'll be a lot like this. Where will it be in 2040? He's like, I have no idea what Trello, the app will be like, but the brand will be there. The brand around collaboration and the way we manage projects. And we underestimated that. And we look at all these companies like Zendesk is at a billion, HubSpot's at a billion. All of the, the ones we came up with are at a billion in revenue. Slack's at a billion. And these brands last forever. And so I think the ones that got these boosts, um, the boost, like maybe it will decelerate, right? And we can even squint at some of Shopify's numbers and see a deceleration in the sense that five years got pulled forward into, into two months. So it, that growth can't, you can't have a 200% of commerce be commerce, can you? I mean, there's, a, right. there's, a, there's a maximum, right? So <laughs> but, this could but the be. The brands are going to go forever. So, so I think VCs figured that out and they said, look, we're going to play the game and we're going to do hop in at 2 billion and we're going to do all these things because, yeah, there'll be some deceleration, but the, they've been pu pulled forward so much. These have become winners and we're going to bet on those winners. That's my, my that's what I've seen. So when we get back from this quick break, I want to know what you think of Slack selling to Salesforce and if that yeah. is a great purchase or they overpaid or who else should have bought it when we get back on this week at Startups. SaaS companies with reoccurring revenue had only two ways to grow. They could sell equity to an investor, a venture capitalist, angel investor like myself, or they could go into debt. Kind of scary. They can get venture debt. They can get all kinds of debt, use credit cards, etc. Now, 
There's a brand new third way to grow without debt, which is scary, or dilution, which is costly, and that is Pipe. Pipe is a two-sided marketplace with buyers and sellers that connect SaaS companies they're selling that have monthly or quarterly reoccurring revenues with institutional investors, they're the buyers, who bid to purchase revenues for their annual upfront value. It's just like the NASDAQ, but for software contracts. This category has never been done before. It's super interesting. And one of my startups is using it and they love it. So with Pipe, you don't have debt, you don't have a loan, and you don't get dilution, but you do get that money for your yearly contracts or quarterly contracts, and you get it today. So you can deploy that money to get more subscribers, more SaaS revenue. It's brilliant, super easy. It's frictionless and it's completely transparent. And they only take a couple of minutes for you to sign you up and you'll have the cash in your bank within 24 hours. Pipe is so confident you'll love trading your SaaS subscriptions that if you sign up for pipe.com slash twist right now, they will eliminate all your trading fees for a full year. This could save you tens of thousands of dollars if you eliminate those fees for the first year, depending on the size of your business and the volume you trade. So happy piping, everybody. Go visit pipe.com slash twist. Welcome back to this week in startups. The godfather of SaaS is here, Jason Lemkin. You can follow him on the Twitter, Jason LK. Uh, and you can check out Saster, his website, saastr.com. They had the largest event, uh, thousands of people coming to it, and it got the plug pulled the week uh, of, what is the second week in March? And I think we second went- Second week of March. I, I, I started my quarantine on that Monday or Tuesday, which was the 12th, I think. Yeah, we sheltered the next week after the post And we sheltered that, that Monday, yet. and then Thursday was when the NBA game got canceled in real yeah. time. That's when <laughs> I knew this was going to be a real thing. Yeah. Like I was watching the videos <laughs> at my poker game in January of them like fumigating in the streets with like tanks in uh, Wuhan and they were blowing like anti and they were like welding door shut. And I was like, this seems dystopian and crazy. Like this is like a movie. And we learned it was just aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and, and then you have this like the NBA game getting called off with people in the arena. Yeah. I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> this is, is that when you knew, what, what was the moment you knew this was like going to be legit when, when they told you you couldn't have Saster or that in February you kind of realized this is going to you know, be a it's, problem? You know, it's funny. The, you and I were talking before we went on about Black Swan events. And you and I have been doing this long enough. You know what I've learned? Every five years, there's a Black Swan event yep. in my career. And every year, there's a big, a big arse curveball one. Okay. And in January, Early January, the CDC put out some announcement on COVID, and I sent it to my my really my co-founder for Saster, Amelia Barra, who runs everything. And I said, "This is our event this year. This is going to hit us hard, like the first week of January, the COVID notice." Because I'm like, "This is different. This is going to hit us hard." So we immediately prepared, and we did all the, you know, we have fifteen thousand masks in our warehouse. We we still can't get out. We we did the thermal scanners, but we knew in January, so we were already prepared. Um, but no one knew it would be like this, right? No, no one under, you know, I mean, people did think it would, we, we, once we, once we sheltered, we all thought we'd be back by the fall. Yeah. Everyone thought we'd be back by the fall, right? I thought the was rescheduled to the fall. Everything was rescheduled, right? But now we look back at the curves and there was like no COVID then. <laughs> there was no COVID back then. No and now COVID back then. <laughs> we are testing like crazy. Yeah. The testing and the cases seem to be very much in sync but the thing that's actually super just and and survivability's been great but when we're taping this uh in December 2020 
you know, for those people with the historical document, we have over 90,000 people in the hospital for this. And we're starting to see the deaths climb up again. Um, thankfully, the deaths are not growing at the same pace they were. So we obviously are getting better at this and we have three or four vaccines. If you had to pick a month when you and I could go to a Warriors game together uh, and we would be vaccinated and have our little vaccination passport to check our papers when we go into the uh, Chase Arena, whatever they're calling it, uh, the Warriors Arena, what month would that be? Well, I'm not, I'll tell you what we're planning. Um, we're going to do Saster Annual. We haven't really announced it. We're going to do Saster Annual next year in September. Uh, we have the venue. We're going to move it outside. We're going to do the San Mateo County Fairgrounds. So, my, oh, yeah, right, it will by be my outside, right by my house. Right by your house. So, we're going to get yeah. you on stage. We're going to get, yeah. you're, you're going to do a main stage interview. We're going to do yeah. it live. Um, and we're going to do some different things. We'll have the uh, things will be a lot more distance. It's 30 acres, right? So, people can stretch out. It's a But we're betting on space, September. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, other than the most conservative folks out there, Fauci and everyone says by April or May, everyone that wants the vaccine, at least in the US and Europe will have it. There'll be vaccine passports, whether the county goes along with it and whether it's truly safe, we don't know. Right. So we're not we're not saying we 100 percent we can, but we decided last week to go full steam forward invest our limited capital and we're going wow. for it in September. We haven't told anybody yet, just so you're just between okay. you and me right now. Yeah, we'll and keep our it audience, here and our audience. People but, whether, it but September, you know, we'll put it on our What does that mean for the Warriors? I mean, I'm sure in Texas and even Orange County, they keep playing basketball if they could, right? I mean, the Warrior, the 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 the, the, um, the 49ers are just moving to Arizona. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know when we can go to a Warriors game, but I'm pretty sure, you know, by April or by by summer, we can go to a basketball game or some sports game somewhere. It just may not be in Northern California. Northern California may be the last to, we were the first to go into, into take this stuff seriously, right? Yeah. And we, and it makes sense. We'll be the last to, we'll, we'll take the least why do you, risk. We'll why do you, why does that it. make sense? What is the underlying uh, phenomenon or the underlying reason why we went first and we'll be last? Boy, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a San Francisco guy. So there's a, right. there, but I think we have a, we, I think we have a respect for both um, science and technology here. We listen to our advisors yeah. and I think, and the world's totally different. I also think, tech companies all immediately went home, right? right. Every, it was easy. It was easy. It was easy. It was easy right. for Slack and Salesforce and everyone to, to make the magnanimous gesture and send everyone home because outside of parts of DevOps, the impact was minimal, right? Versus the, the meatpacking plants and even retail are not a big deal in San Francisco, right? So it was, and so we have very little, very little COVID here, but I think, I think everyone's cognizant of that. And I think, um, the, you know, there's a lot of weird issues in San Francisco with rents and others, but uh, taxes will, California will make a lot of money from capital gains this year. Things will be okay. And I think people will be slow to take that risk. Um, but I mean, this is talking about SaaS. I mean, who knew that 2020 would be the best year of all for SaaS? <laughs> it is crazy <laughs> when you think about it. Like by far, by far, if I knew what I knew today, like the best way to be a, a great, and you're, you're an amazing investor, Jason, but the best way to be an investor is to like have, you know, peer into the past, just a couple years. That's enough, right? right? Just, <laughs> just enough, just peer into the past, right? It's an incredible run up. Um, and I think as part of that today, when we're taping Salesforce has signed a definitive agreement to acquire Slack for unbelievably 27.7 billion dollars they're doing 200 million a quarter so 800 million a billion a year this is 30 times revenue yes is this 
an incredibly uh, incredible acquisition? Did they overpay? What are your thoughts on Salesforce buying Slack for $27.7 billion? Well, first of all, let's a couple things. First of all, yeah. as crazy as it sounds, Slack's a relative bargain. Why? Slack did not get quite the boost that Zoom and others got. Slack stock is up, but not what the others are. So Mark pounced. Uh, Mark learned to pay up. Tableau, 18 billion, right? They, yeah. The first what happened with Salesforce is they bought MuleSoft for 6 billion in, I think, 2017. And everyone's jaw dropped. Wow, 6 billion seemed like so much money for MuleSoft. Now it's like a trinket, right? In, in mm -hmm. SaaS and cloud. And what happened, if you talk to anyone with Salesforce, is that's the best, the biggest acquisition was their best. Mm. Salesforce is too big at 20 something billion in revenue. You have to move the needle, right? Moving right. materiality is 10%. So if, if, if Mark can't get two, three, four billion in revenue minimum out of an acquisition, it's not worth getting out of bed, is it? Right. This is Microsoft. Microsoft had this problem in the 90s, right? There, anything they could buy was so small that it wouldn't change their fate. Wouldn't change. Unless it was right. strategic, like, like, a, like GitHub or LinkedIn, it's probably, or Minecraft, it's probably true today, right? Uh, even today. But Difficult so, so, to move the needle, yeah. So Slack is a relative bargain. And let's, we can chat about why, in my opinion, it's a relative bargain. Um, and, Mark and Salesforce prides itself on doing big acquisitions well. Salesforce hits its numbers. And if you squint, there's five clouds at Salesforce now, maybe six. And half the revenue is inorganic. Half the revenue is inorganic. So they're good at buying things. And Mark knows to pay up. And he's always wanted this. You know, they, they, they created a, a Yammer competitor called Chatter. David Sachs, your buddy will remember this yep. vividly. Mark put 300 engineers on the Yammer competitor. Three, what, right. Back then, that was a lot of engineers at Salesforce with no and revenue, and they were and putting billboards up, and they were- It failed, it failed. Yes. And, 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 and Slack is not Yammer or, or Chatter. Slack is much more than a chat tool, even though it looks like it to most of us. But you know, when we want something and believe in it as leaders, we want it. And that, and that it doesn't go away. He wanted LinkedIn for a decade and he lost out. He lost out to Microsoft because he couldn't come up with the 30 billion because his market cap was only 50 billion at the time. And he's not going to lose out on another prize. Um, and so he's bold, he's matter. audacious. Yeah, he wants to move the needle. Why didn't Slack break out during the pandemic? And is this a failure? of Slack as a company that they could not grow and remain independent? Answer that question when we get back on This Week in Startups. Listen, I have invested in over 200 startups. I've advised even more. I've been in the startup game forever. And one of the key things you wanna do in a startup is you want to minimize your burn. And you need to maximize efficiency because startups are always under-resourced versus larger competitors, right? So I look for people who can take a nickel and turn it into a dollar of value. Well, how do you do that? Well, look at all the different software products you're spending money on and how much time and energy your team has to put into integrating them all together. If you look at those two things, you're going to say we're spending too much money and it's too much integration time. Well, Odoo is here to change that. O-D-O-O. I want you to go there now and get $1,000 in credit. I mean, I'm not joking. $1,000 in credits. It's becoming a little bit of a, a competition here on the show of who could be the most generous. ODOO.com slash twist, and you will get $1,000 in credits for their fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software products that let you build and scale your stack 
as you scale your business. It's simple, it's modular, so you use what you need and all of their apps integrate perfectly together with each other. Plus, it's all open source. You can spend your time on talent instead of expensive software. You need to spend that money building a team. So go ahead and get $1,000 from Odoo at odoo.com slash twist right now. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. My man, Jason Lemkin, is with us chopping up all the sass. Uh, God, what a what a remarkable year for SaaS as we've seen. And I think this Slack acquisition is, along with Zoom's massive uh, run-up, this has to be, yeah, a watershed moment for SaaS, correct? Incredible, incredible. Yeah. It is the, the, the I mean, it's- We're is, living is, in 2025 in, in cl- the cloud today. We're pulled forward five years. Amazing. Uh, and incredible for investors in this space, employees, et cetera. But one wonders- why didn't why wasn't Slack able to you mentioned it's sort of in passing, but Zoom just skyrocketed. But Slack did not during the pandemic. Their revenue has grown 50% year over year. That's a high growth company for sure, on a smaller number. But isn't it a failure that Slack could not remain an independent company? Or is it success that they were able to just cash out? How do you look at it? And why well, did they grow? I have thought about this a lot and written about it a lot recently in general. Um, first of all, I'm the I'm a huge fan of Slack. We chatted about it the first time you had me on your show. Yeah. Uh, you were a hip chat fan. I said Slack I would was be bigger. all we in on hip chat. Yeah. I had some fun. I've been a fan. I, you know, at the first Sasser annual ever, I the only speaker I didn't know was Stuart Butterfield. I begged him to come when Slack was doing six million revenue. I'm I'm OG fan, right? Yes. Uh, and I think Stuart is the kind of person we all want to work for. Someone that deeply cares about people, that cares about inclusion, that cares about doing the right thing, that cares about product. He's a mensch. Right? He's a mensch. He really yeah. is. Yeah. I, and I, I have no criticisms, only admiration. But what I have learned now that there are so many SaaS companies, there weren't any SaaS companies at a billion in ARR when Slack was found. Now there's a ton at a billion. Zendesk is at a billion. HubSpot's at a billion. Zero's at a billion. We can go on and on. Slack's coming at a billion. And what we've learned is the ones that approach a billion and don't have a second product line that's equally as big, slow down. Ultimately, there's only so many consumers. Now, there are exceptions, but even Zoom, I would say, has two product lines, B2C and B2B. Right. And yes, Schools Zoom's and at three families. billion. Zoom's at yeah. three billion, but the pure old Zoom is only at a billion. And that Zoom is adding phone to get bigger because the old Zoom isn't big enough to get to 10 billion. It needs to add phone, right? Phone. And yeah, phone is the like B2B push. Like literal phones. Yes. Yeah, a huge amount. Zoom has two big pushes, enterprise and phone. And then there's this weird thing that uh, other than revenue market, I don't think Eric ever wanted, which was this the yoga and the jazzercise side yeah. of Zoom and schools. It's Book a headache. Clubs, right? schools. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. But but so, and the ones that slow down, the Dropbox is in the box. And I love that you and I love these products, but they, their growth rates are slow. The survey monkeys, they start to slow into the teens, 15, 16, 18. And that's the death knell for... A high growth company. You're not a high growth tech company. And you have, and you look at folks like Viva, you know, Viva was this pharma CRM that spun out of Salesforce, another great success. But their vault product, which is where you archive, uh, um, um, uh, compliance based content, the vault product's larger than the pharma product today. It's larger than the initial product. Look at Twilio. Twilio is at three billion in a rocket ship, but it's added SendGrid. It's added Segment. Yes. It's added. It's added Call Center. It's added a whole bunch of things. That if Twilio had just been Twilio, that that lovely API we love, it was never going to get to ten billion. And Slack didn't do it. 
And Stewart could do it. This is a great team. But I think culturally, they didn't want to do it. Got and it. I think you have to decide, okay, guys, are we going to reboot our company? Are we going to reboot our company and be more? Or should we be the slack arm of a bigger company? And I think it's a logical choice for that so, reason, because there's only one product. This goes back to the axiom of what got you here may not get you there. What gets you yep. to a billion in revenue is having somebody like Stuart and create this incredible family of Slack employees and this mission. But you really need somebody like Jeff or Benioff at Twilio or at Salesforce to then go into that second stage entrepreneur and say, I'm going to build a collection of brands here and I'm going to scale it that way. Correct? Yeah. I mean, at Salesforce, the CRM product is their slowest growing cloud. It's why, very slow growing. So if this is the case, why hasn't Zoom, with their massive market cap, gone on an acquisition spree? I thought Zoom would buy Slack. I thought Zoom plus Slack would be an incredible combination. Am I crazy? Well, first of all, I mean, I, until you've been acquired, as I have a couple times, until you've been a, a vice president in a big tech company where I was at Adobe, you don't really get how it works, right? But, but it takes most companies. This is why the, the Jeff Lawson's to me, I think, are bad RCOs, okay? Most of them, it takes time to build up to big acquisition. I remember in the early days of Adobe Sign, EchoSign, my last company as a founder, Salesforce wanted to buy us. And they called us up to one market to chat. But Salesforce's market cap was like $4 billion, $5 billion at the mm. time. And they said, we want to buy you, but the most we've ever paid is $16 million. <laughs> so eight, eight, eight is the highest we can do for you. I said, well, eight, I mean, it's early. I get it. But like we raised three. So eight's not enough. Like I need 30, like even to get out of bed to talk yeah. about this. So that was 16. They'd done this, this thing that got them their mobile products and then they built it up. Right. And then, and then, and then their jaws dropped at the, at the MuleSoft set or even exact target to something billion to buy email. People thought Mark was crazy. So that's the traditional way. It takes folks time to build up to these big acquisitions if they don't come from that DNA. You have these crazy CEOs who I love. I love Jeff Lawson. He's one of my favorites. He's like, I don't have time, guys. Like, I need scale tomorrow. And they talk a lot about how when, when he looked at SendGrid, he said, look, if I don't buy SendGrid, I'm going to buy something small and put a thousand engineers on it. But I want scale tomorrow. I don't have time. I'm growing 100% at a billion, almost 100% at a billion of revenue. I want to buy scale. But but. But most CEOs can't do that. And I think for Eric, I, I mean, I know him a little bit, but I've never talked to him about M&A. I don't think it's his mindset. So it takes right. you a while. It takes you a while. And mm. and it has to, and it often comes out of fear, right? Or Mark seeing that Salesforce CRM would never be big enough. He knew it would never be big enough, right? Right. Or come out, but I think it's just one of, ServiceNow just bought um, this AI company out of, uh, Canada Elementum that raised a couple hundred million. Anyhow, that ServiceNow was founded in 2004. That's their biggest acquisition ever. So that's wow. the sec third biggest cloud company, right? Second biggest enterprise. That's not their DNA, is it? No. I mean, you it, it does take a certain mindset for a founder to go from that, let's call it, you know, I can build it to uh, I should buy it, right? It's like, yeah. I can build it is what Benioff believed in Chatter. I'm as smart as Saks. I could take yeah. on Saks. I could, you know, I could just build it. I could throw 300 years in. And then all of a sudden, Benioff 2.0 is, uh, I should buy it. I can build it, but I should buy it. And Lawson seemed to get there quicker, right? Yeah. Jeff's like, hey, he you know what? Instantly. I, screw it. Why would I even try? Like, SendGrid's out there. Why don't I take that? Or why don't I try to get MailChimp? And then you have Zuckerberg is another great example in the consumer space. He's sitting he there wait. going- yeah, Instagram and WhatsApp could roll us over. 
screw it. I'm buying them and I'm not even going to my board. I'm just going to buy them unilaterally. Tell them. the board. I'm just telling them. <laughs> he just told the board, we're buying WhatsApp for whatever it was, 17, 18 billion. We're buying Instagram for a billion. It's We're done. Like the deal is done. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about is how will you define success for Slack under Benioff's, you know, umbrella now? And can they grow faster? In other words, you know, Facebook, a lot of people say Instagram grew faster as a Facebook property and that YouTube grew faster as a Google property because of the infrastructure and developers and scale that they had already learned as an organization. Are there things Salesforce knows as an organization that will accelerate Slack's growth? Yeah. Or do you think there could be integration? Well, there's problems? something it, that's it, it, not obvious about Slack if you don't dig into its financials. So since the IPO, the majority of its new revenue, its new bookings has come from the enterprise, has come from six-figure deals. And they have a ton of seven-figure deals. So Slack, I, Slack only has one product. But it went from one segment, which was sort of freemium SMB developer to enterprise in a way that's rare. I mean, it went it went so up market, it's almost unbelievable, right? Uh, I believe the majority of its growth is all enterprise fueled. So that's something that is not their DNA. And that is something that is Mark's DNA. And they will go in with confidence. And uh, where Slack maybe got nerve, I mean, look, Slack crushed it, right? But we're, we're, you, everyone gets nervous in sales. I want a million dollars from Procter and Gamble or whatever. Mark yep. will go in and ask for ten. He'll go in and ask He's for. He's an 10. animal. Yeah, they'll just ask for ten, and they'll ask. They'll price it for value. They're not ripping anybody off. But that's what works. That's why their acquisitions in the enterprise work. They know how to do this. So, will that does that mean Slack will be as innovative as it would have been as a standalone company? I mean, we know the answer is no, right? But will but it has the brand, right? It won the space, and communications became so much more important than we thought, right? When we were talking about HipChat and Slack back in the day, we thought these were cute little apps, right? But now we yeah. run our lives on these apps, right? It, this isn't amazing. AOL or ICQ or Yahoo Messenger. This is this is the core medium of how we communicate now. It, it has impacted culture at startups to a level that. I think nobody expected, like literally yeah. your entire experience at work, the culture of the company is the culture of the Slack. It is. And if if you let people go crazy on it in like the random room or, you know, if people start creating rooms and, you know, you see what happened with uh, Brian Armstrong over at Coinbase, you know, every one of the stories in the New York Times about a company having culture problems starts with, in a Slack room, yes. In a private Slack room, in a message, in Slack room comments obtained by the New York Times, the following was said: "As you know, and it literally, I, I tell folks like you, the rule should be you can't talk about politics or any of this like you know uh, political issues on Slack or email. You can only do it in person. So encourage yeah. people to do it on Zoom where they can see each other or in person if you want to have a talk about whatever it is, social justice or." poverty or the pandemic or Trump, whatever, just do it in an opt-in situation where people are in the same room, right? What did you think of all that Brian Armstrong craziness over there and him saying, don't bring politics to work? I'm curious. You're not a political You know, person. I did not, I, I deeply care about equality and inclusion. It's one of our core values at Sastra. I did not sure. follow all the details because some of it was so toxic. I just have to limit how much toxic behavior, but I will say one thing on it, which is that, um, it's a message I, I want to do want to challenge folks listening to this, like th thinking you're going to build a meritocracy with not with equality, not being a core plank of that is ridiculous. You know, what's his name? Right. The Snowflake CEO. 
uh, what's the guy's name? Frank Slotman, legendary mm -hmm. eat, eat nails for breakfast enterprise sales guy. He wrote this LinkedIn post that everyone's lauded said, said he doesn't have time for quality. Like it's a meritocracy. That's toxic. That yes. is toxic today. And Snowflake's done well in Coinbase. It can't be stopped. But, but it's disgusting. It's disgusting to, in my opinion, and I rarely, I almost never use that word. You can't leave people behind. The amount of privilege that white men, white males that you and I, that Brian Armstrong have, it's, it, it is, it is hubris to, to discount it and to, to say merit, meritocracy didn't, didn't get us where we needed to be when you and I were growing up. It didn't work right. when we went to school and it doesn't work today either. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to completely criticize Brian because I didn't read everything, but that, that meritocracy argument, be, be careful. And I hear it from young founders all the time. And it, and it worries me when I hear it, right? It worries me when I hear it. It's not enough. You do want a meritocracy, but it has to be a meritocracy where everyone gets to play. Otherwise, it's not a meritocracy. Yeah. And if we're not where we need to be, and the numbers show we're not where we need to be, then work needs to be done, right? It's just, it really is that simple. The outcome isn't where we want it yet. And it's just as an angel investor, anecdotally, it's been great to see over the last five years, the number of female founders, founders of color, uh, you know, increase dramatically. And I, dramatically, I think, you know, dramatically, it, it's, we can take that as a win, but there still needs to be a ton of change. When we get back from this final break, I want to talk to you about Zoom. Uh, and why did that product succeed against GoToMeeting, Cisco, Skype, Slack had video messaging and audio uh, meetings in it, and every other possible Google Hangouts. And somehow this new company won the space and won the day in a space that was crowded and every single company had an offering. Yep. How did that happen when we get back from this on This Week in Startups? Right now, it's critically important to make sure your company is in a position to grow quickly and efficiently. You need to be efficient. You need to deploy your capital and your time intelligently. And if you want to drive new revenue fast, well, you can't afford to waste time on the wrong sales prospects. You need perfect leads, right? And the face-to-face -face meetings are a thing of the past. We all know that. You need to quickly adapt your sales strategy if you want to stay ahead. And the best way to do that is with targeted, targeted, personalized sales. How do you do that? You know the answer already. LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It is the tool designed to help you master digital selling and social selling, right? You've got your profile. They've got their profile. You get to meet them on LinkedIn, as well as all of those 700 other million members in the LinkedIn network. Well, LinkedIn Sales Navigator gives you 20 of those monthly in-mail messages, the ones that go right to the top of people's email boxes. You get lead recommendations, unlimited searches, actionable insights, and access to free courses on LinkedIn Learning. All of this is bundled in the LinkedIn Sales Navigator product. Our sales team at launch, Matt, basically lives on LinkedIn Sales Navigator. This is the secret weapon of all sales executives. They want to give you 60 days for free to try it out. Visit linkedin.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S, linkedin.com slash S-A-A-S. We'll go ahead and get LinkedIn Sales Navigator for free for 60 days and learn how the pros do it. Go to linkedin.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S. All right, Jason Lemkin's with us. I, I was amazed when I loaded Zoom. Uh, I was a little reticent because of the sort of Chinese servers and the developers, and I'm, I'm I am concerned about security from China. It looks like they cleaned that mess up. Uh, was pretty vocal about, you know, hey, you probably shouldn't use TikTok or Zoom if they're going to be rooting your operating system and they're going to route the calls through China. I don't trust 
communist authoritarian countries. They seem to have fixed that. That was obviously a snafu, but they won the day. How did they win the day versus Google Hangouts, Skype, and all these other competitors? I don't understand, you know, how they are the 20th meeting software major platform to come out in the last decade, and they just crushed everybody. What was it about the product? Well, I don't claim to be quite as much of an expert on the topic as others, but I've certainly studied it. Um, and I've interviewed Eric about it. I've talked to him about it. I've read a lot of things. And what is interesting is there's a bunch of things interesting, but if you if you hear Eric, even up to 100 million ARR, right? And they're at 3 billion now and growing, tripling. I mean, it's off the charts, right? It breaks, it breaks, it breaks everything. He will say the competition was intense. Intense. Let's not overstate it. Let's not. The, 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 co the collective wisdom is Zoom was such a magical product in the early days that it won on this magical experience. And there's some truth to that. And we can talk about technology, but it was brutally competitive until it won. And then it won, right? It was brutally competitive. And I think, you know, there's, I think there's a couple pieces to it. And there's obviously some luck, right? First of all, um, if you want an argument, Eric was a first time founder, but a second time doer. He was a head of engineering at WebEx. So when you get, and, and everyone I know at, worked at, with him at Cisco, right? Including my wife and many other folks I know, Dan Scheiman, who was the first angel investor. They will all say Eric was one of the smartest and nicest, smartest and nicest people anyone worked with at WebEx. I mean, at Cisco, right? WebEx. Off the charts on the team. When you have a guy like that that wants to do it again, <laughs> you write him a check. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Now, people yeah. didn't. He struggled to raise. He was not a business guy. He ha he. It was a crowded space. Perhaps there's some racism and other things and someone like that. It was Dan Scheinman wrote him a check and Qualcomm and, and other angels. But it took him a while to get for the VCs to pay attention for a bunch of reasons, right? Um, but I think, you know, and I think he was haunted by the quality of service and other issues that had deteriorated at WebEx. So we're on a Zoom right now. You and I, depending on how people watch this, the, the, the ability of this app to scale with QoS is unprecedented. Um, everything else runs on a crummy background uh, mm. um, or they run on WebRTC, which doesn't scale. You know, where you are on WebRTC and you get a bunch of people on, it, it gets blocky or the audio separates from the video, which, you know, that's yes. horrible. Have yeah. you ever had the audio and the video separate in a Zoom? No, Never. I've had people's video break down and you just say, turn off bit, your video and your audio is perfect. There's always yeah. in syncs. Now, before the pandemic, you would connect in a second. Now, sometimes you could wait 10 seconds to connect while it's making sure it's buffered, right? And other issues. But this was a quality of service that does not exist in technology today, which we don't see, but, but people care about. That, that was a commitment. That was a second time founder saying, no matter what, I'm going to build a better product. Two, and he said this many times, he decided to aggressively go freemium right? Which, uh, and you know, you can still use 40 minutes of Zoom for nothing. It is Zoom and Slack. The free versions of Zoom and Slack are magic, right? Are magic. An ordinary person can use free Zoom for themselves and, and in their company and Slack in their company and never pay. Never. It's crazy. This, this is contrary to everything we've been taught about how freemium and chokes and everything works, right? Yeah. They, they both, both products broke the mold on freemium. So that's the second one. And then that none of that is luck, right? This is one is the best engineering, two is a, is, a, is a strategy that people, and then going video first, people don't talk enough about, but Zoom is about video first. And don't forget, we used to be about screen sharing, right? These were technology products, the WebExes and the GoToMeetings and others, and, and, and other things and built-ins to Salesforce and a million products, share my screen, share my desktop. Yes. Zoom was about us having a conversation and that right. ended up being 
uh, incredibly incredible foresight on where yeah, collaboration it's so prescient, would go. right? Like during so a pandemic, prescient. so and then prescient. work from home. So, do we think work from home is here to stay, and to what extent? Because it is very clear. It's December 2020. We're going to have 40, 50, 60 million shots of the vaccine here in the United States. It's 94, 95 percent. There are four of them now. There will be 14 <laughs> and they're going to be like literally have more than enough vaccines for everybody on the planet. Yeah, we will beat covid in early 2021. I am certain you are even planning I believe. an event in September. So you believe this as well. What happens to work from home? What's the good and the bad of this? Because I'm losing my mind at home, but I kind of like some aspects of it. As yeah. a CEO, I kind of got to pick where I worked, but uh, I, I don't even know if you can build a company like a Slack or a Zoom uh, if people are not in the same room. I know you can maintain it, but can you build something that creative without everybody being in the same space? I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, I read something that to me, I found very illuminating about events in particular, but I think it works perfectly for work from home. I think it works for anything that happened in COVID, which is, how did it work during COVID? So for example, will Coachella survive? Look, you can watch online concerts. I have, they're terrible. Okay. I, 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 I went to Coachella last year. I had tickets this year and I'm going again. I don't look like a Coachella guy, but I like events. It's awesome. I'm going, Coachella doesn't work on the I'll internet. I'll see you at the Sahara okay? tent. Yeah, be at the, I mean, you know, whatever that so VIP that, is right off the Sahara yeah, tent, well, that's, that's well, my jam. There. Yeah, is that little VIP, that's where yeah. I live. That little VIP next to Sahara. But go ahead. So, of course, it will come back. The Rose Warriors, Green. almost certainly. Basketball is not so great uh, uh, this way. At the, no, in, in, you want to go in, see it in Disney person. World, sure. right? Yeah. Startups. Hmm. How have startups done since COVID in, in SaaS or general? Yeah, so we're not going Tremendous. back. We're not going back. I'm not okay. saying we're not going to have offices. I've maintained both our offices. Actually, we've added offices in Palo Alto as well as San Francisco. I believe that everyone's going to, you know, Google Google just signed a massive expansion in downtown San Jose, which had been working on for years. So the offices aren't going away. Mark Zuckerberg says he wants to train young engineers in the office, but older ones, more seasoned ones are welcome to work from wherever they want. That sounds logical, right? Wow, and and yeah. if it worked, did it work like this? If it worked like this, we're not going back. We're not, there's too much momentum. It's this lasted, we didn't go back to work in September. If it had been September, we would all be, <laughs> we would not be all running distributed teams. We would have just had this weird bump, but we've all, if you've done better, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's not going back. That is the thing I'm realizing with my own little investment firm launch is yeah. that we have been able to do more investing. Our accelerator is doing better. We have higher quality companies, more people applying higher quality applications, which is what we're looking for. And doing 16 weeks and having no in-person events and doing it all on Zoom, we had 750 investors attend. We there used to have that virtually in 16 yeah. weeks. If you are a startup and we put you in front of 750 investors and you can't raise money, I mean, we, we obviously know what's going on here. You're too visionary and your product is just not ready. Not ready. For, not yeah, ready. yeah, you're probably too visionary and we, we took a flyer or, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's not venture fundable by, by design. But when we were doing it in person, we would get, you know, 10 investors and you would come sometimes to RSVP and seven would show up. So by the end of the program, we, you know, get you to 150 investors. 
So yeah, how so do you, go it's back? more. It's almost two order of magnitude better for 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 launch. Five almost times two, better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're not. You can't listen. I've been to and I've been to your stuff and I've been to the. I've met your founders in person. I've been to the barbecues and they're great. The stuff you yes. do in person is special. Right. I, I, you meet. It is different, but. What at the end of the day, most accelerators are going to be judged by the funding of their portfolio. And if you have if you have an order of magnitude more VC, you're not going back. Yeah, I think there you, that's the point. Is I'm going to just do the barbecue. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, just doing the barbecue. barbecue. I'm going to make wagyu for you. I'll make you some yeah, Kobe, some Miyazaki. But all the other stuff. It worked. It worked when you were, and we didn't know. We we, we didn't know that we this didn't would work. Know. Well, the we other thing that is, we thought this accelerators and, and and we thought it had to be hands on. We thought that was critical to it, but yes. we were wrong. We, were, we wrong. were wrong. Yes. And you know what the thing is, if it used to be that pe- investors would say, and you and I are new investors, but the, the people who came before us, you know, they were they were just at the office every day and you had to make your run up and down Sand Hill Road. And that is how it went. You had to come in person. You had yes. to come to the Mecca. You made the pilgrimage. You went up and down Sand Hill Road. And that's the way it's done. And if you're not committing to being in Sand Hill Road every six months and meeting everybody and updating everybody, then why are you doing this? And that's over too. It's mo- oh, okay. I will. I will. I. I maybe. I think that what has when I, the the you you're a much more prolific investment than I investor than I am. But the investments the the B and later rounds that have happened in my portfolio since March, the there has been there has been the big checks. Okay, there has been a face to face. Now that face to face was with the mask on, and it was during a walk. And it was at the end of the process, not at the beginning, or it was before COVID, or it was, I already knew them before COVID. But I will uh. tell you, walk and talks for VCs happen all the time. I We moved to downtown Palo Alto. I will tell you how many VCs I see at the restaurants there, and I see them dining with founders. It's just, it's not schlepped to the office for the pitch before I get to know you. That's dead. I'm going to do that over Zoom uh, forever. So it's that, more that, that, can like- I get, Can I get you a sparkling water, Mr. Kletus? Can I sit you in conference room B7 right. while you plug in your laptop, try to get it to work and pitch the VC who never even read your deck before? That's dead, right? That is dead and never should have happened, right? It was always lazy. So it's it's at the end of the process. See, that is so instructive. Yes. So you only Why have to waste have everybody's a tenth, time. Tenth of meetings. You have a tenth of meetings. You get to know them, but it's not the same. And then you confirm it with the walk and talk instead of being this great people person where you you, you smell whether it's a great uh, founder uh, when, the, yes. when you walk in the room, right? And there's See, truth in that. There is there is truth in that. But you can do more work and you can learn more, right? And and I'll tell you, for me, all my best investments, I knew I wanted to invest before I even met the person. Same. I knew from email and the, the deck. I knew. So like, I, Same. The, even the meeting was confirming what, is it what about I thought is true. What is it because, about that? You because just the best know. founders are, can communicate their vision, their metrics, their traction so well. They're great at sales. They're great at vision. And you already know. And and I most of the meetings- when From I, the email, I, you know. From the no, email, I, you know. I, then I would meet a person. I would say about 20 minutes. And I'd say, I don't mean to interrupt you, Jason, but- if everything you've told me is true, this is always my line from my, from my then I'm in. If but I need to do some work. I need to make sure what you've told me is true. But if it's all true, after tw- not even an hour, 20 minutes, but I did all my homework. I read the deck. I read the materials. I did yep. everything. And why do you why you know that was actually in a way a meeting down the funnel, wasn't it? It's just I'd done my homework before the meeting. It felt like a first meeting, but really it was far down the funnel. It's almost like, you know, and and I'm always reticent to use any kind of a dating analogy, but if you were to look at the compatibility of the startups and put all the information first. Yeah. Almost like, hey, you know, if we've, uh, what was that site that helped people get married? eHarmony. So yeah. I remember meeting eHarmony back in the day and they had done all these quizzes and tests 
to match you up with somebody who was compatible with you for a long-term marriage type relationship. And I think that's sort of what's happened in startups now is where you start with like, hey, is this deal compatible with our fund? And you take the socialization from the front end and you move it to the back end and you put the the facts up front. Are you looking for money? Are you fundable? What's the growth rate? What's the numbers? And yeah, I just see people getting to the point, right? Because nobody wants to be on Zoom for an hour and a half. Like they people don't. just seem to be so TLDR, too long, didn't read. They just get to the point. That's one of the wonderful things. The the thing though, we do need to be cognizant of and it, it and and if you're building top of the funnel like you are, it helps a lot is, you know, we, we should be worried that funding for female founders may be down since COVID. We should be worried that money is going into obvious candidates. We should mm. be worried that this can encourage a reversion to bro activity, to familiarity with Stanford Business School, to familiarity with accelerators and programs. That that sense of, boy, it, because the thing that's happened that I've seen with B and actually all stages of investment since COVID is people take have taken more risk. Mm. Okay, I just did a deal in one of my portfolio companies at almost 400 million in revenue, a top, one of the best VCs I know. They had one day, they never met them, they didn't do anything. They're, they're calling me and asking me to tell them about the team. There's no, there's no time. Or if it's seed stage, people are investing so quickly over Zoom, they're not even meeting the founder at, at the pitch at Wilson Sonsini, your pitch, that they're taking more risk. Right. And, 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 and that sounds good, but it can exclude people because the way many folks mitigate risk is by grasping for things that seem to 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 also minimize that risk. Is it is that it, do, do one of the Jasons know them? Can they tell me the real story? That sounds great, but what about all the people you and I don't know? You these two right. white men who have some success, we don't we don't really know the people we know. Right. So that's excluding. So I, I worry I worry about who gets left behind in this and I worry about the lack of serendipity and I don't I don't know what to do about it but folks like you and to me to an extent that run top of the funnel I think we have more obligations now to 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 manage that I you know my solution to that is we started this thing founder university and we make we do six of them a year now we're doing them virtual instead of having 50 60 people in person at Wilson Sonsini now we have 300 people do it and half of them or four of the six are for either women or underrepresented founders yes so what we found was when you make an event explicitly for a group of people who are underrepresented you find all those people because if not you don't have the event and when you eat and when people come to that event um what they tell us over and over again is when i saw you were doing founder university for women or founder university for underrepresented founders i knew you cared and you take us seriously and you're doing the work so i wanted to come because i felt like i should come because you're doing the work so that's my best advice for everybody out there who's wondering how to get diversity into their pipeline you know, you have to plant a flag and say, we are open for business and we want to meet you as opposed to leaving it up to the person because then you have this big gap between the incumbent and the up and comer, the underrepresented, underestimated founder. And you can bridge that gap by just saying, hey, here's the platform. We do this thing every other month. If you want to come to it, we share yep. all the secrets and all the speakers and uh, we, we want to meet you. That is the way to do it. You can't just leave it up to like chance. If you don't we do anything, nothing do will occur, you know? And I think it's also related to that. I think when we're talking about SaaS and funding, uh, you know, people slice the data differently, but it's important to remember that the vast majority of these vast amounts of money are flowing to later stage deals, the vast yep. majority. And even when it's earlier, they're flowing to brands. They're flowing, you know, what, Notion, 800 million at 4 million in revenue, what's happening? But everyone knows Notion. 
right? Yes. Brands, the, the, the brands are just collecting more capital than ever. And per our earlier conversation, brands matter. So I, I don't believe that that's a bad strategy. But if you're, if you're below that level, it, it, it's harder to get funded in many ways than, than March, than it was before March. It's harder if you're not breakout, if you're not brand. There's many reasons. And also the bar is higher. The valuations are higher, but the bar is higher, right? Yep. And it's harder, it's harder if, you're not quite in that that inner circle and you don't have a brand and I don't I don't have the answers but just don't think that fundraising is easier today because of these headline numbers right there's so much as late stage right the best the best investment of all in SaaS was Sequoia at Zoom at a billion you know I want to know why they didn't even have to show up to a board meeting Emergence yeah. at least had to do some work, okay? Uh, they just, they just dropped a bucket of money. <laughs> yeah, the IPO, the IPO in 18 months never show up. They At first, they they planned to 4X, then they 10X, then they what, 1 billion to, then they 100 and something X for not even, Oof. that's the greatest assassin. It's quietly the greatest 10% of Zoom for like just winning the deal. Like literally, that's it. How do the people win these late stage deals is it just a matter of who's willing to pay the most and have the least rights that's what i've heard no okay so what is it then how do I how does sequoia win that deal versus you know what was probably all, 10 it's, other it's, incredible it's competitors? obvious but and I, you've seen in your portfolio first of all that what what all the late stage folks are good at is they're in the the hot deals very early a year ahead of time two years you have to be there right and you have to be checking in um, so they're, they're there. Relationship right? maintenance. Yeah. With the founder and or the other investors. They're circling. Lot, they're hanging by the rim. A lot of it. A lot of it. And they're hanging under the rim waiting for that rebound for the easy putback. Yeah. The partners building the relationship and the analyst's job is to know the second they might raise. So yes, the, 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 are, the, the Sequoias and others are very successful, but they're very aggressive. They lose deals, mm -hmm. right? And they want to be the default choice and they get to know you. And the beauty, what happens is when a founder decides they're ready to raise, hmm. if Sequoia in particular and a few others have been in the deal, they'll at least get the email. Hmm. I just went through a fundraising for a company that got five term sheets in a week. Sequoia didn't, didn't fund them. They didn't, they weren't one of the five, but they got the email. Right. Checking in, just do you want it? Do you want to invest? Thanks. Right. We, they said they had a conflict, probably just didn't want to do the deal, right? Conflicts right. are a little bit of an illusion sometimes, but they got asked, didn't they? So there's that. And, um, and I think, and then I think what's hard is, you know, and then you do have to come in high. Sequoia isn't cheap. Right. I mean, I think it was cheap. the Yuri Milner cheap. had this impact on the industry where he was like, you can't overpay for a great deal. And then I think other people inherited that, Kleiner Perkins and, um, who else was in that cohort? I think Founders Fund, sort of Brian Singerman over at Founders Fund told me that, listen, if it's a great company, it's going to be an amazing company. You really can't overpay. And I, that was, I mean, with the exception of WeWork, I'm trying to think of an example of somebody overpaying. I mean, people said Masayoshi-san overpaid for Uber, but, you know, Uber at 50 or $51 today, it looks like he's in the, he's in the money. So... Yeah, I, I mean, some founders, true. some founders take it too far, but most of them later stage, they just have a number. Hmm. And you just ask. Interesting. What what do you what what do you think is fair? Well, wow, four hundred million sounds like a lot on nine million of revenue. But if you're tripling or quadrupling, I can make a case. Okay. So some VCs I like when they ask the founder asks for four hundred, they'll come back with two eighty one or they'll they'll lose some yeah. number. But I find the ones that want to win, you know what? They come they don't they don't come back with four hundred one or four hundred five. They just say fine. Right. 
That's there's other things we could talk about secondary liquidity and games and other things, but I, I, I work mo- almost exclusively with first time founders and I think you do too. Right. And, yep. and they tend to play fewer games and uh, they're not, they're not running that same playbook again. They may be, they may be confident about their, the value of their shares, but they just want to get it done. Hmm. So they have a number and the good, the good later stage VCs, they just, they just meet the ask. They just meet the ask or they don't. Yeah. And that's the way they say it. Hey, what's the ask? Okay, great. We're in and that's it. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes I can't, but I can do this for real, not for a game. And then you give a founder a chance to think about it. How do you think about secondary when founder wants to sell 5 million, 10 million, 500K, a million? What do you advise them in terms of they've got a rocket ship company, they on paper, they're worth, you know, seven, eight, nine figures uh, yeah. and they don't have any cash. What's your best advice to them when they're in that series B, series C in terms of taking money off the table, but not doing too much or is it not a concern of yours and then getting distracted? Well, is there a point I'm where they conflicted. get distracted? I'm conflicted. On the one hand, a lot's changed. You know, I sold my last company just before the cycle started. So in 2011, I was offered 10 million of secondary liquidity. I turned it down and we ended up selling to Adobe instead. But I didn't understand how secondary liquidity worked. And the price Should you was have low. taken that? Would it have been oh, better? Yes. For, for sure. Yeah. Yes, for a million reasons. Not only financially, I mean, I don't even want to talk about financially, but also <laughs> It would have, even if it was less than 10 million, it would have, I'd already made a few million from my first startup, but it would have de-stressed my life. I could have gone another five years. That's what you want as an investor from secondary. You want, I'm up for another five five years, Jason. That's what you want. That's when interests align, right? So you have to look for that. If it's too early, I'll tell you when it's too early, I always find it's terrible. Yeah. Now, I, you could, there are people will argue in, in 2020, secondary liquidity has has dropped into 30, $40 million valuation deals, okay? It used to always so be in the nine-figure deals, right? It used to always be, look, when the valuation crossed nine figures, whatever fund couldn't get enough ownership, so they throw in some secondary, not out of the goodness of their own heart, but so they could buy a few percent more of the company, yeah. right? But as 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 bigger funds got more aggressive, a big fund, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever, a Sequoia Index and Excel or whatever, them putting in $5 million of secondary into a Series A is irrelevant, in a big fund, right? right? Whatever it is, Lightspeed, any big fund. So that's, it's creeped into early series A's. And I find that, uh, I find like, so I like to de-stress, I find it happens too early. So it's not about going another five years. Right. And I find they quit because, um, why sell your shares cheap? The, 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 the most successful founder I know, um, still has not sold a single share. Yeah, Elon. And owns almost half his company. And, and it's not that he's greedy. He is greedy. I remember... When, Wait, when you're talking about a, Elon or... I didn't invest in Elon. No, my personal portfolio. The most ah. successful founder in my current ah. portfolio never sold a share and had multiple opportunities. And I remember he's, he, at, 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 when and this is a first-time founder, at, at around at several hundred million in revenue when he didn't have a dollar in the bank, hmm. he said, can I borrow some money from you to buy shares in the round? Wow. This wasn't facetious. I love this it. wasn't an honest question. That's, He's like, I'm I mean, broke. Think about can it. I get a million dollar loan to buy some yeah, shares in my own I company? Buy some shares in the company, and so you yum, kinda, yum. like, I, and so and so. I, I'm I, as a founder myself, I'm completely supportive of, of de-risking and and actually just de-stressing. Your, it's not. I don't believe in de-stressing. It's de-stressing. That's yes. the difference, right? Forget de-risk. We if if you see a lot of risk in your startup, just sell it. Right. Just fucking sell it today if you see the yes. risk, right? But, but if you we need know to that pay your there's mortgage. nothing more stressful than being a founder CEO. There is nothing harder than being a founder CEO. Anyone that says otherwise is full of it. It's the hardest job on planet Earth. Brutal. It's the Brutal. hardest job. So 
if if you not having to if you having a house and having your husband not have stress and 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 getting getting support for your kids right getting support right. at home if i can pay up for that that's a that's a gift as an investor right cuz and the last point on it is that's the general view and then the other thing today is boy this is what changed in the last since you and i met is unicorns became decagorns not in consumer but in b2b right like there were no Zoom. Zoom planned to IPO what two years ago at a four billion dollar market cap. That was right. their. That's what the banks told and them. That Twilio the was like a billion or two. Yeah, a couple billion. A couple. Spotify billion. was a couple yeah. billion. So so as 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 when Mark Andreessen wrote about power laws when I started investing, I wanted to throw up. I thought it was so made founders sound like products, right? Which I hate, right? We're not human beings, but he's right. Right. And when I started investing in Dreeser, like we looked across our portfolio and the top one or two investments make up the vast majority of our churns. And the reason is they can become huge. That was what they learned from Skype. Right. And so we want our founders to build decacorns. You have you've done it yourself in your investment. We don't want them to sell at a billion. Right. Uh, this week, we're talking about it. Who sold at a billion too? Gainsight sold at a billion. And who else sold at a billion? I forget. These are great outcomes, but we want them to go for 10. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... You, Long as as one VC told me very wisely, who's been in a long time, he said, "We just need people to have long term greed, not short term greed. <laughs> like if the long term, you you really, if you sell too early, like look at Slack, they probably had a countless opportunities to exit at a billion or five hundred million or yeah. five billion, and and look, a twenty seven billion dollar outcome for that company is an extraordinary moment in time, right? I mean." That is that is a win of especially when you sold your last company for thirty million. Yeah, what's thirty million 30 to thirty million. billion? Let's do some rough numbers. How much more is thirty billion than thirty million? A hundred, a thousand, a thousand times. Yes. I mean, while we got there, I, it took us ten seconds. When we got there. I've been doing this long. I'm embarrassed to say I've been doing this long enough that I, you know, I remember when Flickr sold, for, which was Stuart's company before, and, and thirty million on a company year, that yeah. had no revenue in the early days of Web two People thought like Yahoo was dumb. Yeah, like, oh my God, you spent that for a photo site? And they're You're like, so oh, this dumb, is about yeah. collaborate. You're not getting it. And like $30 million for Flickr. And now Slack is worth $30 billion, folks. Like, be inspired by that. Be inspired. Do, if you can't build something great, sell, right? Or quit or exit. But if you have something, this is what I learned for SaaS. Maybe the last point I'll make. We didn't get this, that recurring revenue recurs. It never stops. It never stops. So if you have something, if you're tired, take some secondary liquidity, hire a CEO, find that VP that you've been dragging your feet, get some help because the other thing we've learned when you look at all the ones that are a billion in revenue, the majority of their revenue comes from their existing base. They just keep buying from you if they love you. So you can build a deck, as crazy as it sounds like when you and I were coming up, I didn't believe I could build a unicorn. I didn't believe, I wouldn't have sold if I really thought I could build a unicorn, right? Because there weren't enough examples, right? But now you can build it, if you have something, if you can get to 10 million in revenue, you can get to a thousand million in revenue. Right. You can. Of course. Of you course can. you can. It's happening all the time. The first 10 million is the hardest. Yeah. yeah. So I go mean, that for means it. You got like, product go fed. long. Go And just long. get help. Get help. Because all we know, it's trite to say that all that matters is people because it's true. But after 10 million, all that matters are your VPs. Nothing matters but your executives is your executives. And you, we know when I first started meeting CEOs, when I came up of- Wait a of second. Late, nothing matters but the executives. Why? Why, why is, is because that 10 million, you already, you already have a thousand, a hundred, 10,000 happy customers. Now you have to figure out how to get it to the next level. And it's not just your, your brilliant mind. 
It, it's a hundred times more complicated. Yeah, who's going to figure out the 10,000 workflows and the hire 500 sales reps and the demand gen strategy? It's not you, the brilliant products. Like your, your product mind doesn't even matter much after 10 million. You're a, cr you're a critiquer. You're not a visionary anymore, right? right? I don't think Brian Armstrong knows how Coinbase works. I'm not sure Stuart Butterfield knows what Slack should do today. He doesn't right. know. It's too complicated with this multi-org sharing and video. And this. I mean, he has he has creative strategy, but he doesn't know at a detail level which icon we should use or how to do it. It's too complicated. It, it does get super complicated, super fast. And I just, I don't know if you've read the uh, new Reed Hastings books, the No Rules Rules, but he, he basically goes over there like, you know, hire the all-stars and, and just overpay for talent. And it's clearly... When you get to this billion dollar valuation, you have the resources. You got to just go for top tier, top talent in those positions because it becomes unruly. These companies are so huge and the departments are so giant and you're just going to rise and fall with the value, the, the execution of those VPs. And it's more, it is true. And I think the mistake, I think we get that, but I think the mistake founders make is they don't invest the time. Hmm. I remember, I remember the a CEO of a now $40 billion company wanted to acquire us or recruit me or something. And he would like drive down multiple times a week to meet with me <laughs> in Palo Alto. I'm like, dude, you got better. You, you're running a bit. You got more things to do than meet with me again. But he knew that if he could get us or me, it would move the needle. It was worth his time, right? He could skip that, that planning session or something else. It's the people, right? And, 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 and the best CEOs and founders are, you know, it's trite for years, but they're relentless. They're not just relentless about recruiting. They're relentless about sourcing and finding the best people. And they never quit. They spend years. They spend years recruiting these people again and again and again. And they spend all their time. Um, and, you know, you've got to, you know, maybe my best advice after even a couple million revenue is if you're still doing a VP function, stop. Hmm. As the you, and I, you and I both, even in our current lives, we do a lot ourselves. You and I both do too much ourselves. We don't, Probably. you and I don't have enough VPs, right? Stop it. I, I Stop keep trying. It. Go hire I keep the person. No, I, know, I keep I trying. It's, it's the, recruiting's the hardest thing in the world. It actually yeah. is the hardest thing in the world, but it's what the best ones are great at, right? And they spend half their time recruiting. Yeah. They spend half their time recruiting, half their time with customers, and half their time with prospects. That's what they spend their 150% of their time, recruiting customers <laughs> and prospects. It is, it is what it's all about. Um, all right. With that, Jason Lemkin, thanks for coming on the pod. Stay safe, and I will see you on the other side at the San Mateo Fairgrounds, yeah, uh, which is around the corner. I'll be able to come and do a couple of interviews. And you will. my God, that's such an. It's, uh, we were going to do Launch Festival there one year, and I was just wondering if people would leave the city. And now people don't want to be in the city. Is my perception <laughs> right? They don't. The city is just gnarly, and you know the homeless problem and the violence and the crime and. The cost, it's, I think you're gonna, your timing is going to be spectacular to do it at the San Mateo Fairgrounds. It's such a huge space. You can really take it over and do a lot of fun stuff with it. So congratulations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. All right good luck, friend. brother. Thanks for having me back. All right. Cheers now. We'll talk to you soon.